Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture, and thank you again for joining us. We always appreciate you letting us be part of your day. We have a lot of numbers to go over today. Yesterday, the WASDE report out. We'll hear a lot about that today. Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net will be joining us to talk about that. We're also going to talk about uh, these um, spending and tax proposals uh, before Congress. John Linder, president of the National Corn Growers Association, will join us on today's program with his thoughts and what he's hearing from corn growers. What are their concerns with some of these proposals? But let's start it off talking about that WASDE report. We'll focus in now on soybeans. Joining us is the vice president, market intelligence for the United Soybean Board, Mac Marshall. Mac, thanks for joining us. Some interesting numbers uh, from the WASDE report Estimates of 50.8 bushels per acre for soybeans this coming marketing year. Planted acres at 86.7 million. New crop ending stock set at 140 million bushels. What's your takeaway for soybeans? Well, thanks for having me, Mike. And really, that last figure that you just put out there, that 140 million bushels and expected carryout, that's, that's the big one from yesterday's report. Um, it really just validates that we're going to be in this overall tight supply position, uh, not just that we've had uh, through this marketing year, but also extending into next marketing year. You know, USDA, uh, in the May release, they align on the prospective plantings figure. Uh, you mentioned uh, the 86 point, uh, or excuse me, 87.6 million acres, uh, put on a trend yield that gives us 4.4 billion bushels. Even with a larger expected crop this year relative to last year, um, you, you reconcile that against uh, the lower starting inventories we have and uh, what's expected to be continued strong crush and export demand. And we're going to be uh, looking at another tight carryout uh, heading into this time next year. So let's look at acres and what the market is doing. Is the market buying more corn acres than bean acres? Well, I think that's the open question right now. So since we had that report drop at the end of March, uh, we've seen a pretty substantial shift towards corn in the uh, harvest time price ratios. And, and that's not because the, the price of soybeans has been, has been tailing off uh, by any stretch. You know, beans have certainly gone on a really significant rally over the month of April heading into May. Uh, it's just that corn has accelerated at a faster pace. Um, now, some of that is attributable to, uh, you know, I think some early season uh, cold weather that we had once uh, some corn already went in the ground. But, you know, really a larger driving factor right now is, uh, is, is what's going on in Brazil. Now, recall, you go back to last fall, it took a while for the soybean crop to get in the ground, it took a while for the soybean crop to get harvested, and then that pushed back the, uh, the second crop, uh, second corn crop production in Brazil. Uh, and now, with a bunch of dryness, we've seen um, you know some, some cuts to that expected production as well. USDA actually cut the total Brazilian corn crop by about 7 million tons yesterday. So that's obviously been supported for corn prices and fueling that, uh, that rally, which has outpaced soy a little bit in the past couple of weeks. Just not much margin for error, is there? I mean, we, we've dealt with some weather challenges here early in the growing season. We don't know what's yet to come. Uh, just not uh, not much margin here if we have a big hiccup somewhere in production. That's that's really true. I mean, I think back to last year, um, 
you know, when we were going off of trend yields and acreage and, and expect, early expectations of going to be potentially a record crop, you know, we were looking at 4.4 billion bushels at one point. And then, you know, we have, um, we have, uh, we had the derecho come in in August in, in Iowa and some additional dryness set in parts of the country, which took us down to 4.1, you know, still a very, very large and great crop, uh, in, in most years. Um, but you know, that incremental change of 300 million bushels roughly on the production side that it helped get us, uh, to this tight position that we have now. And of course that's, that's doubled down more importantly by the robust export demand and, uh, you know, what's been a really, uh, phenomenal pace for crush here. And, and those are things that I think we expect to see happen next, uh, season. Um, certainly identified as well in yesterday's report. And uh, it, it just keeps us in this tight position. And uh, there's not, like you said, there's not a lot of room for error in terms of uh, productivity hiccups. So where do you see soybean prices going? Well, uh, I think we've we've got right now, you know, this roughly, you know, $1.70 to $2 spread between old crop beans, new crop beans. And that's actually incentivized uh, in some cases, some parts of the country, earlier plantings of soybeans uh, than corn. Um, so, so somewhat of that reversal, uh, ideally hoping to get the crop in the ground earlier and take advantage of that, that old crop premium over new crop. Uh, but, you know, you look at the response from uh, the report yesterday, and I know we're down a little bit today, but, you know, still pricing into beans north of $14 for, uh, for November contract. It, it, it's a good position, but, um, you know, depending on, uh, on what happens over the course of the year, you know, we have that, uh, late season uh, drop off in yields or anything. Again, we're running with that trend yield at fifty point eight. Um, you can you can see prices pop again. There's always a potential for that uh, when you are operating against the backdrop of continued strong demand and really tight inventories. So, other than the weekly planting progress and crop condition reports that come out, is this what we focus on now until the end of June? Well, I think I think we we keep an eye on that for sure but you know the other price movers here and part of the reason we're down today is you know we had uh we had you know somewhat epic export sales numbers come in uh this morning now not that we should be expecting a lot of volumes to be moving at this point here uh we're past our you know typical seasonal peak uh, a lot of buying is going on or a lot brazil is actually selling a lot right now um forward bookings for new crop as well so, I mean, there's always metrics to look at. I mean, in terms of, like, our productivity, certainly the uh, the weekly progress reports and, and, and weather is going to be critical to look at. But, you know, we're, we're operating in an environment where it's a year-round crop. There's a year-round cycle uh, across all the main producers. So keeping an eye on uh, on what's coming out of Brazil and, and what's uh, starting to come out of Argentina, uh, not just in terms of production, but also in terms of you know, what's getting put on international markets, uh, that's going to be a key thing. And then on the demand side here domestically, um, you, you really saw this, I think, pronounced yesterday when um, you looked at both the old crop and the new crop balance sheets on the bean oil side, uh, mm-hmm. that that uptick in price there. And uh, we're seeing you know this really palpable uh, demand for feedstocks uh, for renewable diesel come into, come into play here. It's really caused a surge in, um, in, in bean oil prices. Of course, the veg oil sector globally is, is pretty tight. Um, so that's you know providing I think new pockets of value and also uh, enabling a higher composite value for the moment. Yeah, that soy oil market is one to really watch. Well, all the markets are are to watch right now the way things are going. Interesting numbers yesterday, Mac. As always, thanks for your perspective. We appreciate it. Thank you very much, Mike. You have a great day.
You too. Take care. That's Mac Marshall, Vice President, Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board. So we'll have more on yesterday's WASDE report coming up later with Steve Nicholson from Robo AgriFinance and Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. Get their thoughts on um, the report, any surprises to them, and where we're going from here with these markets. But up next, lots of um, different proposals going on in Washington, D.C. when it comes to both spending programs and taxing issues as well to pay for them. John Linder, president of the National Corn Growers Association, will join us next. What are their concerns as uh, corn growers weigh in on some of these proposals? We'll get his thoughts next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, talking with Jim Mulhern, president and CEO of the National Milk Producers Federation. Jim, I mentioned there's a difference of opinion or approach within the dairy industry. And as you know, the Dairy Business Association, Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, the Minnesota Milk Producers Association, and the Nebraska State Dairy Association announced their proposal. They're calling it Class 3 Plus. Uh, what are your thoughts, your reaction to their approach? And that's what a federal order hearing process is all about. So we will make our proposal. It'll go into USDA. If USDA decides to move forward, and we'll be asking for a national federal order hearing that will look specifically at the Class 1 price mover. This is a rifle shot approach to deal with a specific issue that arose, became clearly a problem uh, from the pandemic last year. And USDA will decide if they want to take this issue to a hearing. In doing that, they will take testimony from other interested parties. Anybody can offer a proposal. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Did you know that biodiesel reduces carbon emissions by 74% on average? It's the best option available today for states and cities across America looking to immediately cut carbon emissions. It's an important contribution from America's farmers to meeting the nation's carbon reduction goals right now. That's why we say biodiesel is better, cleaner, now. Learn more by visiting BetterCleanerNow.com, brought to you by the National Biodiesel Board in partnership with soybean farmers and their checkoff program. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover key tar from your 80s cover band? 
Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Joining us now is the president of the National Corn Growers Association, John Linder. John, good to talk with you again. How's planting going in Ohio? Well, good to be here, Mike. Appreciate you taking time to visit with me today. Really slow. You've seen the USDA numbers, and uh, I personally, on our farm, we're at uh, 20% of our corn in, and that is all a few less beans. Uh, waiting for that ground to, to actually uh, let that corn come up. It's been so cold, we're really behind on uh, GDUs at this point as well. Not real good prospects for the future here, but we'll be optimistic. Wow. Uh, are you wet as well as cold? Yeah, that's really the, the delay we're faced with. Uh, we've had frost every morning since uh, the weekend. Where over the weekend, we got two and a half inches of rain, which there's still water laying in places. Uh, sort of starting to to uh, appear some or show us some dry spots, and the the tie lines are showing up dry. So we're hopeful here. We miss rain and get some temperature to go with it. Uh, we'll we'll get to moving rather quickly. Uh, no doubt we're. We're ready to get everything back out of the shed as soon as possible. Yeah, you're looking at that calendar, and you're looking at those market prices, right? Absolutely. Uh, what a blessing to have this this opportunity to sell market, uh, you know, market our grain at such a such a wonderful level. But I actually have to get it in the ground to be able to sell it, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Talking with John Linder, president of the National Corn Growers Association. All right, John. Um, your thoughts and what you are hearing from corn growers about some of the spending proposals and how to pay for them that are being uh, debated at Washington, D.C., uh, some of the proposals to change step-up basis, uh, also maybe even uh, the land exchanges. Uh, what are you hearing? What are you concerned about? You know, Mike, we really welcome the opportunity to talk about infrastructure because uh, thanks to the diligence of our member states, uh, really working closely with NCGA. We've been advocating for infrastructure uh, projects for quite some time, seeing some success. Uh, never thought we'd see a bill of this magnitude to be able to find that money to really move, move the needle, make a difference, uh, because it's so critical to our global marketplace. You know, demand is is there, as we see in the, mar- in the current uh, pricing but you know we have to be able to deliver and deliver a long time be reliable in the future because uh it's just imperative that's such a big part of the farm gate economic but you've said it all you know what about the what about paying for all this and you know there's so much tacked into this infrastructure bill that uh, really doesn't focus on agriculture but it's a really big number and they're looking for you know our our administration, our members of Congress are looking for ways if they uh, ratify all this to actually pay for it. And it looks like right now they'd really like to capture more of that uh, share from the market, uh, excuse me, from the farmers if they can. And so unfortunately, uh, you know, we do we do pay a considerable amount in our basis in the moving of our products. You know, it's 
it's all built in. So to put it all on the backs of uh, inherited tax and things like that, it just seems like that's a distorted uh, view of uh, a simple way to raise money, and it's not really what farmers are looking forward to uh, having to handle on their own. As much as you want, and we all acknowledge the need for these infrastructure improvements, if the only way to get them is to have these changes made to step-up basis and and the land exchanges and things like that, inheritance taxes, if that's the cost, is it a deal-breaker for corn growers or not? You know, that's a really great question because compromise is typically the solution that uh, comes out of all this. And so we're going to be having those conversations and already begun to have those conversations with members of Congress and and members of the administration. And let's not uh, unfairly um, tax uh, farming as a whole because we are just beginning to recover. These market prices look like we've really recovered, but we haven't. Most folks have already sold the previous year's crop and not able to take much advantage of of this uh, current demand situation. It's causing the pipeline to find a solution to not running out of corn through price. And so, so few of us had the opportunity to take advantage of uh, a very large percentage of our marketing in this this, uh, run-up. So it's not like we're flush. We can't do this this way. So that's the message we're getting out there, that it really isn't the way to go about this. But you're right, compromise is going to come. Uh, solutions should reveal themselves, and hopefully we'll we'll find those answers with our advocates in agriculture. We've got great ones in Congress advocating on our behalf, so we'll stay engaged and maybe have some outreach call out for our, our grower members to call in, tell their tell their member of Congress why this is uh, important to do this right, and and getting it wrong doesn't serve anyone. What are your thoughts on administration's plans and goals to add 4 million acres to the Conservation Reserve Program? You know, honestly, there there is a place for that program, and it, it served us well. Uh, you know, conservation is a big part of who we are, and so folks do take advantage of these opportunities. But, you know, if we, we go a step too far in, in taking production out those acres out of production we just give that opportunity to other countries to fill that void and so there needs to be balance and we have to make sure that that's that's the right approach to finding that balance uh we want that balance in nature but we need a balance to not lose our markets as well so we have to be cautious so very much engaged in those conversations as well On the trade front, Mexico seems to be, there's a, a faction there that wants to uh, really restrict uh, importing of uh, GMO corn. Uh, how big of an issue do you see this becoming? I mean, do you see this a real challenge for our exports to our, our customer to the south? You know, some of this seems like we throw a lot of these objectives out as bargaining chips to maybe get something else, uh, you know, and so if I'm on their side and looking looking north at, at uh, the U.S. and saying, you know, we have some needs that we need met too, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw, throw some uh, darts up here and, and let you uh, respond to them. Uh, we're really fortunate. We have USCR, Catherine Ty working on our behalf. 
she really wants to take on those uh, non-tariff trade barriers, uh, and we so appreciate that. And and I've got an upcoming call with uh, USTR, Catherine Ty, as well. That those are kind of things we're going to talk about. What benefits uh, our farmers in the marketplace? What uh, benefits this country in the way of trade? And and uh, you know, and this disparagement of one part of the economy is is not really what we're after. We need agriculture to be whole because we're a huge part of what, why NAFTA worked for all those years. And so, you know, as we rolled rolled into this new agreement, of course, the devil's in the details, the implementation, and and that's what we see. You know, the, the pushback on on what we won in that and how we get it to land in a place that really serves us well. That's what we're after. We're still waiting for some big decisions from EPA, but I'm assuming you're encouraged by what you're hearing so far from EPA Administrator Regan when it comes to biofuels. You know, this is really interesting. I think you bring up a great point. I've, I've had the opportunity to uh, uh, visit with uh, EPA Administrator Regan, but only in a, on the point where it's a, uh, a conference call with a, with a large group setting uh, was at the uh, Growth Energies uh, uh, Executive Leadership Conference. And he called in. It was virtual, but he called in. It was interactive, answered questions. I like what I heard. I was encouraged. Uh, did I see a few maybe caveats, if you will, you know, just kind of not uh, clearly defining because things aren't really 100% defined on where EPA is landing? Sure, we're always going to have that, but uh, also got a got a personal call coming up with the NCGA leadership with uh, Director Regan, so we're going to discuss those things further. But right now, saying the kind of things I like to hear. So hopefully we can really land this mm-hmm. in a good place. But, you know, he's got a big job to do. I understand that and respect that as well. Sounds like you got some important discussions and conversations coming up. We'll look forward to hearing how they go. John, thank you very much and hope you get uh, back in the field soon. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Take, take care. John Linder from Ohio, president of the National Corn Growers Association. Up next, Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. His analysis of the WASDE report out yesterday and where he sees markets going from here. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? 
The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. The USDA numbers forecast a tight supply and demand balance. The U.S. weather is expected to improve with rain and warmer temperatures expected beginning this weekend. There is a chance of rain this week in some of the driest areas of Brazil as well. On the Board of Trade, July corn trading 21 and three quarters lower at 6.93. The September contract down 18 cents at 6.03 and a half cent. For soybeans, the July contract down 27 and a half cent at 16.14 and three quarters. The August contract down 23 and a half cent at 15.48 and three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat July trading 11 and three quarters lower at 7.18. The Kansas City wheat July contract down 16 and three quarters at 6.74. Minneapolis spring wheat July down 10 and a half cent at 7.55. The September contract down 10 and three quarters at 7.59 and a fraction of a cent. Most of the livestock complex was able to close higher on Tuesday. The hope is that that trend will continue on today. Export sales reports will have an influence on some trading activity and price direction Wednesday. Lower grain futures may provide some support. In cash cattle country, it's slow to start this morning. So far, no bins have been renewed. Asking prices are around $120 plus in the south and $192 plus in the north. June live cattle on the Board of Trade trading 82 cents lower at 117.80. The August contract Contract down 52 at 121.80 for feeder cattle. The August contract up a dollar 97 at 152.55. The September contract a dollar 85 higher at 153.90. For lean hogs, the June contract down 87 at 111.12. The July contract down a dollar at 110.90. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's wade back into this WASDE report. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Rabo AgriFinance, joins us. Steve, thanks for being with us. I, I want to f- look first of all at the projected acres numbers. I remember when we were earlier, I mean, there were a lot of thoughts that both corn and beans would be above 90. Now this report 
looking at 91.1 on corn, 86.7 million acres for soybeans. So uh, even with high prices across the board, is the market buying more corn acres? Yeah, good morning, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, you know, USDA is, is you know, in this first kind of, what I always call just the first peek at, you know, what they think about the new crop year, you know, they're they're going to, they're going to, you know, resort to what the, the, the plan intentions report said in March and say, here's the acres we're going to put in because this is what we know right now. So I think you have to keep that in perspective and there it's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing inherently right about it. It's just, it's what we know today. And so that's what they use. So I do, I, I think, you know, the premise of your question is, there, is there acres being bought? I, I do believe there are, there are acres being bought. And, and I believe both corn and soybeans for that matter. I mean, this run-up we've had is just a bit of a, uh, a bit of a surprise. I'll be honest to think that we had this big a run-up this early in the season. But I do think we, when we get to the June acreage numbers, and that's, that's the next big report on the horizon, is that, you know, what is that June number going to show? How many more acres are we going to see of corn and soybeans uh, this year because of the prices? Now, we've had a good spring. Uh, we've seen good planting weather for all practical purposes. And if you look at the major corn and soybean states in the Corn Belt, uh, the eastern Corn Belt is a little behind what I call what would be considered kind of the western Corn Belt. Um, but that's not atypical. Uh, it's just that's their seasons. Uh, but you look at good progress, and, and you know as well as I do, if farmers are out planting and they have good weather and they've got a planter hooked up moving along, they're going to find those few more acres and plant a few more acres. So I would expect to see a few more acres in the June numbers. You know, I don't know that we take you don't take these numbers that we got yesterday with a grain of salt because they're important because it gives you a view as to what the demand side looks like. And I think that's that's a really important piece right now. And you can see particularly the beans, beans are still going to be very tight. Um, and corn is a little less tight, but still we've got, we've got a long growing season and a long crop year ahead of us before we get to a final number. Yeah, and maybe a little less tight on corn, but yet it looks like it's going to be a reduced safrina crop out of South America. Well, that's right. And and I would, you know, if there was anything I would, I focused on those reports was the export numbers for both corn and soybeans and wheat. You know, you're going to have a smaller crop in South America, in Brazil's safrina crop. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, and we have to say that's against, ex, you know, that's versus expectations. Um, you know, we're down close to 10 million metric tons for where everyone thought it was going to be. You know, there is some rain forecast over the weekend, but it's it's one of those things, is the crop too far along for the rain to benefit? It's going to benefit a little bit in some of the areas, uh, but the fact is, you know, that cast, that dye is cast. So that gets back to, you know, when I look at the export numbers. When I look at USA's export numbers, they're still second highest exports on record, and I had to remind myself of that. But they're down from this year, and and I don't, you know, when you look at a safrina crop in Brazil, you know, down this year, you know, they're not going to plant crop, you know, corn until next year, and so they're, you know, China and the rest of the world will be still from the U.S. for for corn. Um, I suspect that export number is going to get a little stronger or a little bigger before the crop, the new crop years out, just because there's not going to be a lot of competition in the world until we get to 
you know, next, you know, kind of a year from now. So I, I think that's the other thing to be paying attention to is that, you know, we typically see, or we have seen over the years in tighter years, USDA started a fairly high ending stocks number, and that number tends to come down over time um, unless we find a ton of more acres. So, I mean, that's the other caveat. What are those acres, you know, how many acres do we really get? And I think that's the question we're all trying to answer and figure out right now. We're talking with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst with Robo AgriFinance. So, which has the most potential for upward movement on price, corn or beans? Then, yeah, I think definitely corn or beans. Excuse me, I'm sorry, soybeans, just because of how tight they are, um, and the demand for beans and the demand for oil, uh, vegetable oil, um, is going to keep that soybean complex, you know, pretty well supported going forward. So, I think there is more upside when we look at the bean market than there is the corn market. Now, that's not to say the corn market is, is rolling over and dead and that sort of thing, uh, but, you know, if we don't get the acres in June uh, that I think the market is anticipating, uh, then we could, you know, be prepared for another another leg up here on both markets. But I do think beans have the most upside because of how tight they are. And, and you, know, it's, you know, if you talk to, you're talking to producers and you talk to merchandisers in the country, and you can certainly see that in basis levels in the country are just screaming higher uh, because they just can't get um, can't get grain out of the country or get stuff bought. And we do see early new crop bids, uh, uh, particularly in the Delta, uh, pretty strong because they they want to try to get some of that early early grain out, uh, early harvested grain and soybeans out. So it, there there's not an indication on the cash side that things are all, you know, grins and smiles. Uh, the supply is still a challenge, and the demand is still there, and so they need, they're need they trying to buy what they can. And part of that demand is for soy oil. I mean, we're, we're kind of seeing this boom with uh, renewable diesel. Yep. Yeah, it, it's it's really interesting, and I, I, I've done a lot of work on renewable diesel, and of course, centered around California, because they have the, lar- you know, the largest diesel market in the United States, and and also, um, you know, some of the, you know, they have the law. And it's interesting, if you look at their, if you look at what feedstocks they've been using in renewable diesel in California and in their biofuels program, it's been animal fats, tallow, poultry fat. It's been, excuse me, used cooking oil. It has not necessarily been soybean oil or canola oil. But the fact is you have this demand for fats, you know, pulling you know, into California or into the refineries supplying California is a better way to say it, you're you're boosting the whole, you know, vegetable oil market. Now, I do believe some of that is, um, you know, I think a little bit of that is hype, um, overdone, I, but it's it's going to be interesting to see where this all settles out. And we're, we're as I say, as a, as a research group, we're trying to kind of figure this out and see where it goes. You know, California is meeting their low-carbon standards uh, so far, the first 10 years of this law. You know, they got ten year, ten more years to get to twenty percent reduction. But you know, that could at that next ten years, you know, that's where they're probably going to have to get into vegetables because they have taken so much of the used cooking oil, tallow off the market to be used for that. So um, there, that story is still being written, and there's more to come. And more states are starting to implement or look at implementing low carbon fuel standards. Absolutely, you have. If California, Oregon have laws on the books, you have a consortium of states along that 
western part of the United States and Canada that are, are working together. Washington has been off and on and trying to get. And then you have you have states like, and I'm going to hopefully get this correct. Uh, look at I've got some of this right here in front of me. You've got the states of Colorado, South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, New York, and looking at low-carbon fuel standard laws, and they have the whole country of Canada also looking at those. So, you know, we're considering that. I don't know that anything has been passed this year through the legislative through the legislatures um, as of yet, but it's certainly it's certainly spreading and looking at we have to do something uh, to try to get this down. Now, it's also you know, that's one thing you have to remember in the low-carbon fuel centers. It's not all just about renewable diesel. It's also about ethanol and biodiesel. And so there's other, mm-hmm. there's other needs there, aviation fuel, all that sort of thing. So it's not, just a, it's not just a renewable diesel story. And perhaps maybe at some point we'd get a national low-carbon fuel standard, but uh, we'll see. That will right. take some doing, of course. Yeah, that will take some doing, exactly. So, so Steve... We look now to that that uh, report at the end of June. Then we'll have a pretty good idea. Yeah, at that point we'll have a much better idea of where we are on the supply side. Granted, we have a lot of weather to go in front of us, but you know, as I always remind people, that June thirtieth report and that July fourth weekend is a really important time period. The market kind of sits back and assesses and say, okay. We now we know what we have acres out there. We have an idea of how the condition of the crop because it's up out of the ground. We also have an idea of looking forward to weather. We know what kind of weather we've had, and now we can look forward to forecast and say, hmm, you know, forecast looks good, forecast doesn't look so good, or we still have concerns about that. And so that's a time when the market will make a decision whether it needs to go up uh, to ration supply that it has available or. Um, or go down and say, you know, everything's okay. But I think the fact this year we come into the planting season relatively dry in the western corn belt, and timely rains are going to be crucial to this crop this year, the market is probably, is more than likely, going to maintain a little more premium this year until it gets a lot more certainty. And I think it's going to be more skeptical and wait a little bit longer this year before it makes that decision that, oh, we're okay, or no, we're not okay. So, in the sense that we may be waiting right to, right up to harvest before we the market relaxes. All right, Steve. Always appreciate it. Thanks. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Mike. Take care. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst with Bravo AgriFinance. Up next, more thoughts on yesterday's WASDE report and where the markets go from here. Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net joins us next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. 
If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So the president's tax proposals have some in agriculture concerned. We're going to talk about that uh, today with Pat Wolf with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, there's certainly a great deal of concern about this in farm country. And we've had a record number of farmers and ranchers call their members of Congress saying how concerned they are about a new capital gains tax at death. Any tax imposed at death is problematic. It's because farmers and ranchers don't have cash in the bank to pay the tax they have to sell. Now, the American Families Plan that was put out last week has three increases in capital gains taxes in it. Yes, we can't say for sure that this is a good deal for farmers and ranchers, and we're very worried that the rules that would come along with the targeted program might not work for a lot of people. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project, so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this, or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Hey, it's me, your cell phone. 
We need to talk about something. Something serious. I know you love me. I know you like using me wherever you are. But I feel like this isn't working out when you're driving. I know you may think that it's possible to focus both on me and the road. But I just don't feel the same way. I think we should spend time away from each other when you're driving. It's for the best. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk more about this WASDA report. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net joins us. Matt, thanks a lot. What uh, are you focused most on here from the uh, report? Acres or stocks or all the above? Well, that's a good question. First of all, on acres, we pretty much knew what acres were going to come in at. You know, it was going to be the March planning intentions. Now, there was some uh, speculation that they might change those. But, uh, you know, I guess whenever I'm going to talk about acres, I'm going to talk about your harvested percentage. So the USDA actually used a fairly rich harvested percentage for corn. Uh, but you got to keep in mind the USDA is probably hedging their bet on additional corn acres. So, uh, using their harvested percentage, you could come up with about 900,000 more acres than a normal harvested percentage. Uh, and I think that uh, we can all maybe agree that we're going to see an increase on corn acres of more than 900,000. So uh, I can kind of go along with what they did there, but you got to kind of read into the numbers. Uh, the main takeaway for me on the report, you know, is simply that there really wasn't a whole lot of information to digest whenever it comes to soybeans. Corn, you drop the old crop, you raise the new crop. So they're making the assumption that you're going to have high prices, maybe cure high prices somewhat. And uh, right now, this time of year, in the month of May, it's probably a safe assumption. So I guess the question of the day has been, with high prices pretty much across the board, is the market still buying more corn acres than it is soybean acres? Yeah, and that's a that's a really good question. It sure has seemed like this week maybe it was trying to buy a few soybean acres, you know, because corn was struggling somewhat, whereas soybeans had actually uh, shined a little bit. But, uh, you know, right now it, it's hard to say. We're getting fairly uh, uh, far along in the spring, so that discussion is probably uh, getting a little bit, uh, oh, I don't know, I'd say it's probably getting a little stale. But I do think... Uh, in fairness, you know, you're probably going to pick up two to three million acres of corn. I don't know that you pick up that much on soybeans. I would have probably said something different three, four weeks ago. Uh, but also, you know, you rallied the corn market substantially. Now, I know a lot of producers are sitting here frustrated, you know, that you're looking at uh, prices that are essentially uh, 60 to 70 cents off the highs on these corn. Uh, but let's let's be realistic here. You know, you're still looking at 576 corn. Uh, there's a lot of years we'd have given our right arm 576 corn this time of year, uh, you know, and, and so we got to keep our perspective a little bit here. Does it look like to you China is in the market to stay for a while? Well, we had another, you know, we had another announcement this morning, another 680,000 uh, metric tons. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they they've just been in here buying corn with uh, with both hands here lately, and so. Uh, you know, when you look at interior corn prices, ten to eleven dollars uh, for China, uh, there's no doubt in my mind a couple of different things. First of all, 
yeah, I don't think we have Chinese stocks or world stocks correct. I don't want WASDI's job by any means. Uh, but at the same time, it just seems to me like this Chinese situation is out of whack. It's out of balance. And they continue to buy corn. Uh, moving forward, I think the, the USDA is saying, you know what, we want to see China actually uh, you know, put put some teeth in this and make sure that they buy the corn. They also, of course, uh, only took Brazil down to 103 million tons. And, and so you've got to assume the USDA thinks maybe Brazil's export program won't be too far off of what they originally guessed. So uh, if you do take this Brazil crop below 100, I think that China is going to, uh, you know, they're going to end up uh, importing quite a bit of corn, uh, not only this marketing year, but I think next marketing year as well. We know, Matt, somewhere along the line this summer, there's going to be a weather scare. Um, we've already had some concerns already, but uh, th somewhere there'll be a big weather problem developed, probably. At these kind of levels that we're at now, how sensitive will the market be when one of those problems hits, you think? Oh, I think the market's going to be super sensitive. Um, you know, I think whenever it's all said and done, uh, you, you, you've got to be cautious as to assume that uh, this market is over with. Uh, but for right now, it probably is. The thing is, is that, you know, a lot of people came into this WASD thinking that, uh, you know, you might be in a situation where, uh, uh, you know, you're essentially going to top the market and then you'll wait on summer weather. And I think that that's exactly kind of what we've seen happen. But at the same time, Mike, if Brazil can't catch a rain from this point forward, we know uh, you're going to have to continue to downgrade that crop. If the U.S. gets into any sort of weather situation, uh, my personal opinion is that you could see this thing extremely volatile. So this spring, I don't think you would call it ideal. I mean, it's been dry. And, Mike, you know as well as I do, everyone talks about how good the grounds work. But with cold soils, you know, there's been a lot of issues with uneven emergence. And so that's just not conducive to a major big-time yield. And I think that that's widespread enough. You're going to have to keep a close eye on it. So uh, in my opinion, if Mother Nature is not super cooperative, uh, I think that getting just to that trend line, 179, 180, is going to be a tough stretch. Yeah, those weekly crop progress reports, crop condition reports, uh, they may... They may tell us a lot, uh, and where these markets go may hinge on a lot of that, those numbers, won't they? Yeah, you know, a lot of times I get a little irritated with those numbers because it seems like they're a little haywire <laughs> at times, you know, and I think there's been times we've uh, felt some disconnect, but I totally agree with you. I think the trade's going to be watching those very closely. If they see a trend, you know, I mean, they're not going to hang their hat on an individual number. But if they see a trend start right. to develop, whereas maybe we start at really good conditions and we start to downgrade the crop, by all means, I think that you're going to see the trade coming in with both hands buying this thing. So I think what a producer needs to remember is flexibility continues to be of utmost importance for us. Uh, you know what? If you want to sell corn at 575, uh, 580 basis to decrease. who would fault you? Uh, but at the same time, if you get real <laughs> aggressive, I think this is your opportunity to cover some of those sales in the event that this thing takes off this summer. Yep, it's going to be a wild ride. Matt, thanks a lot. Good to talk to you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mike. Take care. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Yeah, we heard from John Linder in Ohio. They're still waiting to get the planning done. They're behind. We know it's been dry in the Dakotas. Below normal temperatures in a lot of the production areas. So uh, kind of off to a 
a uh, bit of an uneven start here, even though planting has been moving right along overall. So we're going to be watching it closely. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll be back with us tomorrow right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.